wronged me so many times. They've said so many bad and evil things to me. At some point, do I have to just stop doing it? And Jesus says, no. Unlimited forgiveness. Why? Doesn't seem fair, does it? Why? Because God has unlimited forgiveness for you. Not only on the cross has he satisfied your past sins and your iniquities, he's satisfied and forgiven your present and your future ones. That your sin cannot exhaust the forgiveness of God. He doesn't run out of forgiveness. He's not like, okay, I've had enough. They just keep doing it over and over again. I can't keep doing this. Now, if you're one of the people, your mind says, oh, so I can just do whatever I want to do, and I can keep getting drunk on grace and just drinking it up and abuse all these things, and he just keeps forgiving me? Listen, if that's your thought right now, you don't know the gospel and you don't understand it. And I would even tell you that's not a Christian thought that entered your mind. You can't be a Christian and think that. You see, the understanding that God's forgiveness doesn't run out should drive you and motivate you to please him with your life. Kill sin and stop abusing his grace. That's that whole argumentation in Romans 8 and 9 through Paul. He knew people would say that. He has unlimited forgiveness towards you. For those that believe in Christ and have surrendered their life, you cannot exhaust God's forgiveness for you. So then he goes on to Help them get. Like, they probably still have some questions like you. But what about this? And what about, I mean, isn't there a limit to this thing? And how do I do this? And all this stuff. Well, he goes on and he creates this illustration. It's really an extreme illustration to help us get it. And he does it by telling us a parable. Now, if you know anything about parables, parables will, they'll do two things. They will conceal the truth from an unbeliever. And they will reveal truth to the believer. Meaning the the unbeliever won't get it. They're like, this is not right. This is stupid. And the believer says, that's right. That's good. I want that. Right? So I don't know if that's going to fall in here today. But let's look at what he says in this parable, Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. This is God the Father. I'm going to kind of play this out in a narrative. This is God the Father, this king, who wishes to settle accounts with his servants, his believers. When he began to settle, one was brought to him and who owed him 10,000 talents. So he had a sin debt to pay, right? In verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. He, ba- he banished him. He says, you can't pay this debt. You are guilty. I'm sending you away. The servant responded in verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. This is his cry out to God, have mercy, have pity on me, because I can't pay the debt. In verse 27, the king, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. So here's God the king. He cancels out our debt. It's all gone. Just canceled. Forgiveness, undeserving, he owed the debt, cancels it out. And let's see the response of the guy who received forgiveness. Verse 28, but when, he, the, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you 
He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the story is a servant who owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is billions of dollars. So he had accumulated a debt. He owed it. There was no squabble or uh, disagreement. He owed it. He couldn't pay the debt. There was no way at all that he could pay this debt. The king ordered him to be sold along with his wife and children. So he punished him because he can't pay the debt. Servant fell on his knees, cried out to God, mercy, mercy, mercy. The king canceled his debt. Now, the servant who just tasted the forgiveness of the king, he goes out. He finds a fellow servant who owed him some denarii. Uh, he owed him a considerably less amount, a, a, a hundred denarii, which was like equivalent to maybe a couple of months' wages. So this is minuscule and compared to the debt that he had just been forgiven for. And instead of him walking out and learning the lesson and extending forgiveness to the guy who owed him, he instead goes the other direction and goes out like Dog the Bounty Hunter and chokes out the guy who owes him this money. Are you kidding me? I will choke you out, and if you can't pay it, I'm putting you in jail. How harsh. What a scandalous response, right? We all shake our fist at the injustice of that story. We look at that guy, and we're like, oh, he's wicked. He's wicked, right? He, he should be punished for what he did, right? How much more harsh and wicked and scandalous it is when we, in turn, have received forgiveness from God of a greater, more infinite debt that we could possibly have paid when someone else offends us of some trivial thing. We're we're harsh. We're we're the wicked servant, y'all. When we don't extend forgiveness, we are that wicked servant. And then Jesus drops the hammer at the end of the story, right? It says, so your heavenly father. If you don't forgive your brother, he won't forgive you. Now, let's be clear what's happening here. Jesus is not saying that you forgiving other people is conditional in your salvation. I already told you it was all God, right? So it's not, oh, well, if you don't forgive, then I'm not going to save you. That's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying is, is if you habitually and regularly have an unforgiving heart towards people, you actually have an unforgiven heart. An unforgiven heart that has never been touched by the gospel. That is what Jesus is saying. We will be punished if we have an unforgiven heart. Now, it's not, it's not easy. As I said, this is not a natural thing to do. The Bible doesn't command us to forgive because it's natural and because it's easy. It commands us to do it because it's the Christian thing to do. In fact, it's a, it's a command. Christians commanded to forgive. And it's not only an obedience, right? It's a delight because at the end of the obedience, we actually get to experience the freedom 
from holding on to that. It's, it is for our good. Every good command from God is actually for our good. C.S. Lewis said this, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. If we are to be imitators of the king, in the story, the parable we just read, if we are to be imitators of the king, how can we possibly be Christians if we refuse to pardon those who've offended us when we gladly soak up all of the forgiveness for God? How harsh and scandalous is for us to do the same thing? And I, I pray that that pierces us and releases us from it. So how do we do this? Okay, so let's get into some practical things. How am I going to do this? Because you, you might be having some, but what about these? Or, or, or what are the exceptions and all these things going on in your mind right now about the person who's offended you and you're going to try to justify me even at this moment. Like, nah, I'm getting around this one. He's not talking about me. It's a different situation. There's asterisks here. Uh, there's all kind of obstacles that will come in your way of why you won't forgive there's also a lot of misnomers um, and to forgiveness. So let's talk through all those things that might be jamming you up in you withholding forgiveness for someone. The first one would be this. Quite honestly, some of you are being governed by your emotions instead of the word. You're being governed by your emotions instead of the word. You're being governed by your flesh instead of the spirit. Men, you might be being governed by your egotistical machismo. I, I'm not giving in. I'm winning this, right? Women, yours is a little different. Maybe it's cattiness. Spiteful cattiness that you're holding on to. How juvenile is this stuff? Right? I'm going to implore to you, if that's your situation and that you're being governed by your emotions, I'm going to implore to you to stop playing on the playground. That's what kids do, right? Get off the playground and step into adulthood and stop acting like juveniles. And isn't it weird when adults play on the playground? Are you all with me? Um, it's weird. Unless you have kids there, right? But if you're just like a bunch of adults playing on the playground, it's silly. Stop playing like juveniles and holding on to emotions. Oh, my pride got hurt. My feelings got hurt. Lay those aside because those are things that will cause you to hold on to forgiveness. Others, some don't want to, to forgive because they don't want to relinquish the false sense of power that they think that they're actually in. If I can withhold forgiveness from this person, I have a power. I'm winning because I'm not forgiving that person. And I like to win. I don't like to lose. I don't like to look weak. So I will not Give in to this person. That's not power. That's prison. You are the one who's paying the price for that. You're not winning, you're losing. Because all you do is you're consumed with it. Every time you hear that person's name, it stirs up anger in you. You think you're winning, but you're losing. And then it affects the people around you, doesn't it? Like, when you're wronged by someone, don't you go looking for allies and you tell them your skewed vision of the story to pull people into your story. Yeah, you should not forgive them. I can't believe they did that. Right? Man, the way to the cross is through weakness, not strength. That's why we have gospel-rooted forgiveness. Because we humble ourselves before the Lord. And when we humble ourselves and we become weak, then we are exalted. 
Man, lay aside selfish pride. Now, others don't forgive because they don't trust God. You, you withholding forgiveness today from someone reveals that you don't have a trust in God, that he will actually deal with it. Oh, I know you say that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but I don't trust you. And if I let go of this, who's going to make them pay? And you shake your fist at the heavens. No, God, vengeance is mine. And I'm afraid if I let go and I forgive, I'm afraid that you might be good to them the way that you've been good to me. I don't want that to happen. And that just reveals in us a lack of understanding of what God has forgiven us for. Others, don't forgive because you believe or think that forgiving means forgetting. You, you put those two together. You say, well, I'll never forget that, so I'm not going to forgive. And that doesn't play out true in the scriptures. Forgiving is not forgetting. I've got scars on my body and hurts and aches and pains from wounds that I've had over the course of my life. They remind me of those things. You will have spiritual wounds in your life that, that you may have forgiven people, but you won't forget. And that's okay. They'll still be there. They are two different things. You might say, well, what doesn't Jeremiah 31 say that God remembers our sin no more? Well, yeah, he does. But God knows everything and he forgets nothing. It doesn't say that God forgets our sin. He just chooses to not throw it back up in our face. So you might have that situation. Forgiving does not mean forgetting. Now the other aspect of that is, you know how people say, I've forgiven, but I will never forget what they did to me. You know what I'm talking about? And they like talk Christianese and they're like, oh yeah, I know I'm supposed to forgive and Paul says to forgive and I'm doing the Christian thing for you. But, I, but you don't know. I will never forget the wounds that they inflicted upon my heart. You know what that is? That is unveiled unforgiveness that still remains inside of you. That's all that is. You have not forgiven. You're still holding on to it. It is a, it is a posture of the heart and bitterness and anger and gossip and slander coming out means that you actually have not forgiven that person. Now, others, you don't forgive because you uh, think it means reconciliation. If I forgive this person, that means that I've got to like have this new relationship with them and they're going to be in my life and now we're going to start going to Destin to vacation together and they're coming over to the house and eating and we're going to sing together. No, that doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that. Reconciliation can only happen when there's reciprocity with the other person. I, I miss people that have wronged me in my life. I, 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 like, I'm cool with it. I'm okay. I, I've forgiven them, but it doesn't mean that we're going on vacation together. And it's okay because they probably don't want to go on vacation with me either. It doesn't mean reconciliation. Now, would that be a great picture of the gospel? Yeah. But that requires some conditional reciprocity in that, and that is not in your hands. Some people won't forgive because they think the person that their conflict is with is because it's all their fault. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. It's all their fault. They are the ones that did this. And you, like I said, you start looking for allies to build your case, and they look really bad, and you look really good. 
Like I have never met and sat into a counseling session with either couples or individuals or walked through a conflict situation where it was one person's 100% fault one time. Not one time have I walked in a situation. Oh, yeah, you're right, 100% them. Yep, you did nothing wrong. You're perfectly blameless. No, that's not true. It never happens that way. So what do you do? You, you become introspective. You own your own. If it's 1%, if it's 10%, you own it. Hey, this is an area that I've not walked worthy of the gospel in, and I have not forgiven you as I ought to. I'm taking this part, and I'm, I'm owning this. I'm responsible for this, and I ask for your forgiveness. Now, I don't mean apologizing like an athlete or a, a celebrity, right? You know how they do it? I'm sorry if your feelings are hurt. You know how they do that? I'm sorry if you got offended by what I did. That's not what I meant to do at all. That's not an apology. That's not asking for forgiveness. I'm not pointing out what it did to the other person. We just own our own part. We own it, right? And I would even tell you to possibly own more than you're responsible for. In the, in the sake of peacemaking, I would say own more than you actually are even responsible for. Now, some of you, as I said, some of you are being silently killed right now because of unforgiveness in your heart. You are jammed up spiritually. You say things like, I don't really feel close to God right now. I'm kind of drifting. I'm kind of in the staleness. I'm kind of stuck in my life, and I don't really know what's going on. Like, God, where are you, right? You kind of, where are you at in my life? When underneath that banner, there might be some unforgiveness that remains in your heart. And it's jamming you up from being able to experience a deeper fellowship with God. And I pray that you get moved today. I want to I share with you, I'm going to close out by sharing with you a personal story, a powerful story of forgiveness. Because we read the scriptures and you still might be sitting in your seat saying, well, my situation's different. This is all great and imaginary. And that, in a perfect world, R.C., yeah, that just works. But we don't live in a perfect world. We're flawed people. And you might be a little skeptic about how this works. I want to share with you a powerful story of one of our own here at LifePoint Stewart's Creek. Um, Wendy Dudley, uh, a covenant member here at our church. Uh, I want to show you a picture of her and her family um, this is uh, on, your, on your left. This is Josh, Butch, Wendy, and uh, Nate. Um, man, this is their family. And I want to tell you a story about Wendy. Wendy lost her father uh, when she was just six months old. Uh, she lost her father uh, to a man who shot and killed her dad while he was serving in the line of duty as a Metro police officer. Um, that man, uh, we'll, we'll call him Mr. Gentry today, he was sentenced to, uh, to life in prison. For as long as Wendy can remember from the day that she could start remembering things, she has had um, a, a, an, an abundance of unforgiveness in her heart. Rage, hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness at the mention of his name. Every year when the time of the parole would come up, it only fueled the rage and unforgiveness that was already inside of her. She thought, man, this man, how could I possibly forgive this man? He took away my daddy. Like, there weren't daddy-daughter dances. There wasn't 
Uh, Dad wasn't there to walk her down the aisle. Dad wasn't there to see the birth of her babies, to walk in their lives, to take them to the park. Dad wasn't there. How could she? It fueled her rage for this man. It caused a barrier between her and her relationship with the Lord. It just jammed her up. There was great conflict in Wendy. What made it probably a little bit more difficult is that Wendy married Butch, who Butch is also a police officer from Metro. And if you know anything about law enforcement, the, the family and community that's created in there, you don't forgive cop killers. You make them pay. This is the unforgivable thing when you shoot a cop. And there's all of these tensions that are surrounding that, this perfect storm creating. And then when, when he's 38... And the Lord just began to wait on her and press in on her a burden that she couldn't shake. And it was the burden to forgive her father's killer. Everywhere she went, it seemed like God was speaking through someone or some situation to get her attention. You must forgive. You must forgive. You must forgive. He worked through avenues of speaking to her children, songs, people in her life. But what if she forgives? What if she forgives? She could potentially be ostracized by the police community. She could be ostracized from her own family who had not forgiven. What would she do? God would not leave her in that state. He continued to pursue ferociously her heart and said, You have got to let go. She recalls a specific time. Uh, during this season of her life when she heard a song by Matthew West. It's called Forgiveness. Maybe some of you have heard this. Listen to the lyrics. She knew. Forgiveness, it flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say you have a right to hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying, set it free. Forgiveness. Winnie knew she had to let go. She knew. She began to crafting a letter to her father's killer, a six-month preparation, uh, so she could be present at the parole hearing where she would meet this man face-to-face for the first time. She had previously prayed, don't ever let this monster out. And now she's going to meet this monster face-to-face. The day before was restless, anxiety, worry, fear. What will he do? What will he say? How will he respond to what I'm going to do? How will this go down? Didn't sleep much that night. Walks into the prison the next day. He's sitting at a table. Mr. Gentry's there. She walks in with fear, anxiety, worry, and enthusiasm all hidden behind a smile. She sits down at the table. They exchange some unpleasant, awkward pleasantries. Just a little awkwardness. And finally, Wendy just got up and she walked over to him and she hugged him. She put her arms around him and said, I forgive you for killing my daddy. He begins to weep, cries. He's melting in her arms. He's, I've prayed for this. I've prayed for this. I have long prayed. Many have prayed that a day like this would come. I have been jammed up with guilt and shame. And I'm a follower of Jesus too, but this has really jammed me up. And they sat down and shared stories, and immediately 
the weight of the world melted off of Wendy. This burden that she had carried for far too long melted in the sight of the gospel and what God had forgiven her for. The good part about the story as well is what happened after that. After that unstuckness happened, after that was freed up from her life, God began to have a clean vessel to work through. He says, okay, now we're going to work. And what you were walking with the Lord, now you're going to run with the Lord. Since that time, her husband comes to know the Lord. Her both of her sons come to know the Lord. They all get baptized. They become covenant members of this church. They fall in love with the church. They don't just go here. They love it. It's their family. Wendy's serving in our student ministry now, impacting other students. Man, that is what happens when someone tastes the forgiveness of the gospel and it is deposited in their life and it comes out and it produces fruit in their life. Man, what a celebration. How trivial How trivial is your unforgiveness at this moment? Your squabble over gossip, slander, your name. How trivial is it at this moment? When you know what you've done to offend a holy God, you can extend forgiveness to anyone. And that is the prayer that we have for you today. That you would see the light of that gospel story and then you would begin to extend, walk in freedom from this place. As I said, some of you right now in you, you've been withholding forgiveness for someone who's wronged you. You need to go talk to them this week. You need to grab coffee. You need to say, I have withheld. I have sinned against you by withholding my forgiveness from you. And I need to be clean before the Lord and clean before you. Would you forgive me? And watch what happens in your life. Watch. And some of you are the offender. Some of you are the person. You've wronged someone else. And you're just kind of creating distance. And there's been this awkwardness. And you haven't really told them you're sorry yet. And don't do that through a text message, by the way. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Go to the person. Speak to them face to face. And talk about gospel forgiveness. God has pierced my heart through the gospel. And has forgiven me. And I cannot withhold it from you any longer. Man, move. Move in a mighty way. Uh, We're going to do a couple of things today as we continue in worship, as we close out. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. Why, Why did the Lord institute communion? Because he wanted to remind us, the church, his believers, of the forgiveness found in the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we're getting ready to do this. Not because it's a orderly service thing. It's a reminder. It's a gospel reminder. And as we taste this bread and we drink this cup, it, we taste the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that, and I'm going to walk through in just a moment. But before we, we eat at this table, at this family meal, here's who's invited to take. People who believe in the gospel, who have surrendered their life to the gospel. That's who sits at the table. Paul actually cautions those who are not believers in taking the cup when they're not part of the family yet. I pray today that you would see that you would want to be at this table that eats the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If that's you today and you've never done that, today's a great day for you. Today is a great day for you to get saved. 
You get up today at the end of service, you come talk to us out back. We want you, we want you to experience the forgiveness that's found in Christ. But Paul does tell us to extend forgiveness or to examine ourselves before we take and eat and drink. Examine. Is there unforgiveness in your heart? Reflect. Confess those sins before the Lord. Do work. And we'll come back up in just a moment and we will take this together. So hold on until we can do that.
1 Corinthians 11, verse 12. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup, the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So until the Lord comes back, when he descends from heaven to call us home, we'll keep eating, we'll keep drinking, we'll keep remembering the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue in worship, and we're going to do a little something different as well today. This is just a super Sunday. Uh, The other gospel reminder that the Lord gave to us was baptism. Forgiven people, they get baptized in response to the forgiveness that they've received. Maybe some of you in here today, you've been forgiven by the Lord, but you've not yet stepped into the baptism waters. I pray that you move into that step today. We're going to see, I believe, seven um, people get up and proclaim that they have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. And we'll celebrate here at this church. I don't know how many come through different places. We celebrate uh, in these baptisms. We get loud. We get a little crazy if you want to. I'm not saying run around and dance. I'm not saying do that. There's not really enough room in the, uh, here to do that anyway. But we, we want to be excitement. We want to be joyful because in this remembrance of what they're doing, we are going to remember the forgiveness that God has given to us. We'll celebrate, remember our own salvation. Right now, the, the team's handing out our, our baskets for offering. Put your guest card in there, um, your tithes for this week. Thank you for doing that. But let's continue to worship, and, uh, and let's celebrate these baptisms. If you're new to our church, you're a guest. I want to meet you today. Listen, God's coming through Stewart's Creek on a big train. You got to get on it. This is a cool thing that's happening. Come see us. Be a part of our church. We'd love to have you. I love you guys. Let's keep worshiping.
paid it all and all to him I owe and sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow it's washed away all my Out of weakness, watch him free. Find in me thy all in all. Yes, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. And sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat and Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe and my sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. Yes, he washed me white as snow.
Jesus paid it all. And Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen. Church, you're dismissed. Go live in Jesus' forgiveness this week and forgive as he's forgiven us.